All right, good evening. evening. Welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ Christmas party. I knocked some snow off the podium here. But uh, welcome everyone. And uh, we do this once a year. It replaces our our normal service. We're going to get a chance to close out the book of 1 John uh, before we dive into our uh, festivities, if you will. So... Uh, if you have a Bible, hop over to 1 John, and we'll close out here. We spent the last three months looking at this book. If you don't have a Bible with you, maybe go on the internet on your handheld smart device and hop over to 1 John 5. For those of you looking forward to a Christmas-themed lesson. Uh, I'm sorry. So, uh, yeah, there's a connection right through Christ. But we're actually on December 16th going uh, to have our Christmas service and we'll have a pageant uh, that's put on by the kids on. at that time, which is going to be great. But for now, we're finishing 1 John Chapter 5, we've talked about already that the book of John talks about two things that God is compared to. He equates that God is compared to both love and light. And uh, John is closing out this heartfelt letter to his family of churches. Uh, these churches um, are established in western, modern, modern Turkey, western Turkey. And John is closing out his letter that was really written for one reason. And in 1 John 5, verse 13, he, he closes out with these words. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You know, this is why John wrote this book. It was to help his people, help his, the, the people of his church to know, to have great assurance that they are in fact in good standing with God. That they are going to heaven, that they are in good standing, that they are embraced by the Father. This whole section is really to protect them against two great accusations. And one of those is the accusations that we give ourselves and the accusations that Satan can bring to us that we're not really Christian. That we're not really living the life we should live. That we're not enough. That we're not going to live up to the standard. That we're going to fail. And those, those insecurities never really go away. And so John, in a moment of, of emoting, in a moment of really uh, losing almost control of his emotions over the last chapter, is trying to help his people remember that they are in fact okay. And to have assurance that they are going to be and are just fine. In verse 14, John writes, This is the confidence we have in in approaching God. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us, whatever we ask, whether we uh, we know that we have, uh, we know that we, we know that we have what we ask of Him. Verse 19, or sorry, verse 16. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. 
There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We also know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding, so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true by being in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourself from idols. And thus concludes the book of 1 John. And so before we take communion together today, we want to try to glean what is John trying to help his church understand. And the title of my lesson today is I Feel Good About This. This is a, a royal flush for those of you who might know poker. It's the highest hand in poker. I've played many hands of poker in my life and I've never actually had a, a royal flush. Okay? Uh, a royal flush is very rare, but it's the highest hand you can get. It's the, you, you can't lose with a royal flush. There's no mathematical way to lose. It's the highest, right? Uh, and so... When you have a royal flush in the game of poker, uh, you can actually play quite confidently because you know you have it. Any other hand, there's a chance you could lose. But when we're confident, and John says this, when we're confident, we're at, or when, we have, when we have assurance that we will win, we actually live confidently. But when we're nervous or fearful about what we might lose, we begin to live uh, in timidity. We live in fear, we live in insecurity rather than in confidence or in assurance. And so the whole goal is that you can have the great same assurance that God wants you to have. God doesn't want you to walk around kind of hoping that you're going to that you're going to make it or not knowing, but he wa- he wants you to have great assurance. Any any one of us who's been in a relationship uh, with that's very ambiguous, there's a lot of room for insecurity. And you want to have that talk, right? You want to define the relationship. You want to have that talk of what are we? Because there's a lot of insecurity that can grow. And John says, these things have been written so that you can have assurance. Well, what's been written? The Scriptures. So the, what gives us assurance is Scripture. And remember last time, John says two kind of in, in interesting things. He says that we can have confidence because of Christ's blood, the water and the blood. And it's, this is what can also give us confidence. A lot of times where we can think, man, why does God want us to get baptized? It's kind of a weird thing. Well, what's beautiful about baptism is it gives us great assurance. No matter how Satan attacks my insecurity, and I've, I'm not perfect, I've made a lot of mistakes, I've, I've sinned. There's been a lot of times, even after getting baptized, that I've kind of been, how am I doing? Am I still okay, God? Or have I lost it yet? Am I out of the running? Am I... Have I disqualified myself because of my behavior, because of my sin, because of my intentional sin at times, my embarrassing, shameful, intentional sin that I would never even want to discuss? But baptism is able to say, no, February 21st, 2003. That is the day that you decided to die to your former way of life and live for righteousness, to live for God. And for those of us who have been baptized, that's actually a great gift, a great gift of assurance. In those moments of, of, of insecurity and attack, we can go back and say, no, 
This was the day. It was the day that I decided to no longer live for myself, but to live for, for Jesus. And so baptism is not some, some burden or curse or some work. It's an incredible gift. A gift that's supposed to provide you with assurance. Though sometimes it doesn't always do that. The other thing that provides great assurance, it says from last week, is that it's the blood. And so the Scriptures provide two things. Assurance through conversion and baptism, but also through the death of Jesus Christ. And we can't ever forget that as well. As important as it is, uh, uh, what He did, we can't forget that just getting baptized isn't enough. It's got to be a death to sin and it's got to be for Jesus. But assurance leads to living in a confident way. You know, when you, when you have the royal flush, you bet differently. Uh, you bet confidently. And you might, you'll have no problem pushing all those chips in. I often wonder sometimes when people play games for a lot of money, I feel like if I played an actual poker with thousands of dollars, I would be so afraid of losing the money because I don't have a lot of it. So if I, I'd be so afraid of losing the money, I would bet so, I'd be so scared to bet. But it doesn't matter how afraid you are if you know you're going to win. You, you can easily just say, hey, all in, baby. Who cares if he has a good hand or she has a good hand? I got the best hand. And so one of the things we can look at in our lives is look at how you've been living these past few months. Has it been with courage and confidence and assurance? Or has it been with a, a fear? Has it been with timidity? Has it been with insecurity? With wondering what other people will think about you? Constantly wondering if your behavior is enough that week to make you feel a little bit better. And every time you do something bad, you think, oh, I, I now deserve something good or I did something good, so now I deserve something bad. And you're just back and forth with all kinds of moral licensing. How have you been living? Because if you have not been living with great assurance, there's probably a reason for it. Either you have not been baptized, you don't see the blood of Christ, or you've forgotten. Any of these things is possible to come up in our lives. You know, one of the things he says here is kind of weird. Did you notice it? He said, some sin leads to death, other sin doesn't lead to death. I'm not saying you should pray about the kind that leads to death, but and you're just kind of like, What's he talking about with this sin that leads to death stuff? And we can't get into it today because I'm on a time crunch. But basically what he's trying to say is that certain sin will lead us to a place where we can, to apostasy. Where we can, we, we come to a place where we are, have a depraved mindset. And we are, from a perspective, untouchable. We are so far gone that coming back seems impossible. We've left God so far. We've, we've, we're just so far away from where we should be. And John gives a challenge to the church. And you can feel it as he is leading this flock of young Christians. He challenges them to do something that we can fail to do, which is to go to bat for each other. Which is to intercede for each other. Because he says, I don't want you to get it twisted. All wrongdoing is sin. And... I think the reality is that the church today is just like the church back then. That they probably began to fail to really, really deeply, consistently pray for each other. And to pray for each other's sin. You know, I think in a lot of ways we've stopped sharing our sin with other people. And a part of it is that we can think that's none of their business or I don't trust them or I'll just confess to God and 
You know, other people, I'll just give them vague ambiguities, you know. Uh, but we, we, we've stopped sharing our sin with other people. And so I wonder if we even know what to pray for other people about. But maybe we do know, but we, we don't pray for them. And it's an incredibly awesome challenge because the reality is, is that sin is devastating and it's damaging. Just in the last few weeks, I've had a lot of conversations with people where the damage of the, the decisions they've made is never going to ever leave them. And they, I, try to, I have to help them understand that. That God forgives, but the, the consequences of your decision will never leave you. And never leave the person you've affected. And that's real. Sin has consequences. God forgives, but that's the way it goes. That's divine law. That's every uh, action has an equal and opposite reaction, right? That's, that's, that's physics, but you know, it's, it's the reality is also too with, with the spiritual decisions that we make. And we cannot forget that the chance that you could fall away for good is a real possibility. John is writing to people. It's a whole book begging people who are already Christians to stay Christians. And because I believe he realizes that they could fall away. That they could get sucked into the world and they could get to a place where sadly it seems like all hope is lost. And he says, listen, you can't change people. We can't change each other as much as we may try to. We can't force each other or manipulate each other to change, but we can pray for each other. That's something we can do. And so this, this, this evening, I want to ask us as a church, have we been reluctant to confess our faults with each other, to confess our sins? Do, are other people praying for you? Do they even know what you're going through? You know, I think we've, we've stopped being specific because we're embarrassed, we're ashamed, and we start to use euphemisms, and we start to uh, frame things. Like, uh, the last few weeks have been really bad, but when someone asks us how we're doing, we say, I- I'm doing a lot better. Doing a lot better. Uh, it's not what I asked, really. You know, but it, makes, but it basically is like, yo, get off my back, I'm doing okay. But how come we're not real? So actually, there's been something that I'm struggling with or I need help or I, I really don't think I've been doing that great and are we really being specific and honest and confessing or have we just come into a church full of people who show up and I'm doing okay and we're just, we're just vague and then it gets to a scary place where people start disappearing and none of us know why. None of us know why. You know, we cease to even think about praying for each other to repent. You know, this passage is specifically about praying for each other to repent of their sins. Yeah. It's not just praying. We like to pray about future events. That's what we like. I pray for my friend to get the car he wants, right? Or I pray for, and it's important, but I pray, pray for uh, people and, and, and needs, right? I pray that their situation financially can be remedied. I pray for their physical situ- situation to be remedied. But do we pray for other people? I say, man, this brother, I I pray you're with brother so-and-so. Help him repent of his sin. Help him today as he goes about his day that he can resist the temptation of that girl who flirts with him in the office. I pray that you're with him today, that he can see and celebrate how incredible his wife is and to be able to cherish her. I pray that you're with my sister today as she struggles to forgive of of her bitterness, but to actually pray for each other to repent. And for those of us who are not disciples, to pray for them to, be, to get baptized. To pray for the, the teenagers in our church to get baptized, to make the decision to repent. 
Sometimes it seems like we could care less if they repent. Sometimes it seems like we could care less if these teens get baptized. They don't even know their name. Have we stopped caring for each other? Did we even start? It wasn't going to be a Christmas-themed sermon, okay? It was going to be 1 John 5. But I think for us today, are we praying for each other? You know, I remember my parents, every time we prayed, it was I pray that Drew, Kelly, and John Mark grew up to become disciples. It's in every prayer. It found its way in, you know, to every prayer. But as a kid, you know, it, I could tell this what my parents cared about. I remember uh, my friend Brian and I, we grew up together. Our, our moms were uh, in each other's weddings. They were both converted at the same campus ministry in Kansas. And my friend Brian and I were in that angsty teenage years of like worrying about whether we'd get married or not. And uh, Nancy looks at us both and says, your mom and I have prayed for you to find godly wives every day since you were born. We were like, what? That's incredible. That's amazing. Like we, I don't even pray for myself in that way, but you know, prayer is powerful. I always lift up my mom in this way. My mom calls me. I talk to my mom every week after midweek on Wednesdays and I call her and she says, how's this person doing? I've been praying for them every day. How's that person doing? I've been praying for them. Drew, tell me who's, which seekers are studying the Bible. I want to pray for them to get baptized. And she follows up and she checks to see who got baptized. She checks to see how people are doing. She sends gifts to several people in the church. You know, but it's a powerful thing. We can't change each other because we're not Jesus, but we can pray for each other. We can intercede for each other. We can go to God for each other. Have we stopped praying for the wayward to return? For those that used to come? For those that used to be disciples, but no longer are? Have we stopped? Have we lost hope? Have we given up? Because the reality is, is that nobody's too far gone. Nobody's beyond the help of Jesus. And the passage here says we have a God who has a heart to intercede and protect. A God who wants to protect us. A God who wants to love us and protect us from sin. That's what all this is about. He's being able to see us live the life and live it to the full. To not live for sin. To not be some milquetoast, whitewashed, easy, lame, normal, underwhelming Christian who goes through life trying not to offend people saying general things about God and love and being a good person. That's not what this is about. Jesus didn't come and die so that we could have mediocrity. We can have that without Him. Jesus came so we can live radical lives and live lives to the full. Live lives of full acceptance. Not in a person, not in a spouse, not in a, in a job, not in success, not in a career, not in pornography. Not in uh, emotional relationships, not in a boyfriend or girlfriend, not in friendships, not in social status, not even in how much you help other people or help the poor. But you get acceptance, not in doing those things, you get acceptance in a cosmic, universal, omnipotent Christ. And that's what we're dealing with here. As we close out and get ready to take the, the bread and the juice here. You know, Jesus always walked the walk, didn't he? He says, he says intercede for people, go to bat for them. He says in Luke, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you, to sift all of you like wheat. What does that mean? You're going to go through the ringer. That's the scariest thing ever. If Jesus said, hey, bro, Satan asked to really put you through it. But Jesus doesn't say it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. You might not win. You might not make it. I don't know if you have enough. It's a high standard. You're not that great, Peter. So I'm, you know, but he says, no, but don't worry. I've prayed for you. 
I've prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Not that you are strong enough, not that you're successful enough. I've prayed for your faith. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. And then Peter says, uh, next, right away, he says, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm ready to die with you. Isn't that us? God, I'm here. But Jesus goes, you're about to mess up big time, Simon. You're about to deny me three times. Jesus says, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows, you'll deny three times that you even know me. But it doesn't stop Peter. It doesn't stop Jesus from praying for him. Peter's lack of success did not prevent Jesus from praying for him. We cannot let each other's lack of performance. We cannot let our, our, our own insecurity stop us from praying for each other. You know, I've been challenged this way in my own life, right? I had to start making a prayer list again. Just jot it down because I forget. I forget these things, but I started making a prayer list of just all these people in the church because I got to go to God. These are big things. This is big sin. These sins are intense and they, they got us by the throat sometimes. And so as we close out the book of 1 John, I want to ask you this, this evening. Are we going to bat for each other? Are we praying for each other? Are we interceding for each other? Because it's only when we go to God in prayer for each other's struggles and for our own struggles that we can be reminded of what we've been given and have a great assurance. We're able to be confident. We're able to be bold. We're able to not be insecure about the things that happen in our lives. But we're able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. And I pray, guys, that all of us, including myself, that we never give up on each other. That we continually pray for each other. That we never shy away from each other. That we're specific, that we're honest, that we confess, that we ask for help. Because we are all messed up. We all got issues. But we all can have Jesus. And that's what can bring us together. So as we pray, we're going to take the bread and the juice. Let's bow our heads and we'll say a prayer. Uh, Dear Father in heaven, God, it's so grateful to be able to celebrate Christmas. And over the next few Sundays, God, we're grateful to be able to dive into the incarnation and your son, God, and his birth. But looking at 1 John, God, I just, I know I've been convicted, God, by my lack of love for my brothers. I've been convicted, God, by how easily I give up. Uh, God, how, how, how short my leash is, God, and I, I'm just, I get impatient. And I just thank you, God, that we have Jesus who, who prayed for Simon, but who also prayed for us. Yeah. Uh, God, and that we have a, a Jesus who interceded for us, who didn't just pray for us, but who died for us. And I pray that we can pray for each other, God, that we can lay down our lives for each other. And I pray that tonight, God, wherever we are, that we can be specific, we can be honest, we can have authentic interactions with one another, that we can let go of any prejudice, let go of any insecurity, let go of any hierarchy, any pride, any arrogance, let go of any shame, and be able to connect with our family tonight. It's in your son's amazing name we pray. Amen.